You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Get more patients. Work smarter, not longer. Keep cash flow steady. These seem to be the goals of most medical practices. While a business plan sounds over the top to many practices, it may be just what the doctor ordered. Welcome to the Business of Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell. Joining me today is Peter Lukash. Peter has over 30 years of experience in healthcare and has authored two books on medical practice management, including the Medical Practice Business Plan Workbook. He is a blogger for allbusiness.com, writing about the business management of medical practices. Welcome to the show, Peter. Thank you. Peter, why does every doctor's office need a business plan? Well, we probably work in the most dynamic industry in the American economy, and I think right now we're going through what's been called an inflection point. In other words, there are very fundamental changes in the industry and how we operate, how we're organized. When you have this kind of upheaval and change, what a business plan does is lend some discipline to managing your practice, to where you are, and more importantly, where you want to go and how you're going to get there. So it's a process of making hard decisions, of imposing discipline upon the organization and the uh, physicians and your key management people to go forward from these times. That's an interesting word you used, imposing discipline on the doctors. Coined by an investment banker, uh, he referred to uh, trying to manage physicians as like trying to herd cats. But And that's not derogatory. I mean, what it takes to be a physician is a great deal of self-confidence and self-assurance. You can't cut into people and prescribe very potent drugs if you don't have that kind of temperament. It was meant with respect. You know, if you're trying to manage it, it's, it just makes things different. That's all. Peter, I, I completely agree with you, so don't worry. You're not stepping on any toes. When we decide to create a business plan, what kind of questions should we address? A lot of the first steps are almost boring and mundane, but it's gathering a lot of data. One is often amazed, I've been amazed, at how little a lot of businesses, so in a lot of ways physician practices are no different, don't understand what's going on in their business. You go at some basic things is look at your financial statements and go back a couple of years and see what the trends have been. People very often have a sense of where what might be going on, but they don't really know. And seeing it on paper sometimes or on a slide in an overhead uh, lends some uh, assurance and, and, and opens some eyes, so to speak, as to what's been going on. Maybe you're right. Maybe what's been happening is a temporary thing or it's a seasonal thing. So a lot of it is just gathering basic data and information about where you, where you are right now. Get a picture of this is your practice, this is your business right now. That's the, probably the most important first step. A virtual snapshot, if you will. Yes, that's a good description. What entirely goes into this plan, and, and is this something that the doctors can't create, or do we have to hire a consultant to do this? What a consultant is is not so much someone to tell you what to do, but to someone who, if they're good, to help you accomplish what you need to do. Your practice manager very often can handle a lot of this work, but sometimes you might be, get a lot more uh, value for your dollar if you hire somebody on a temporary basis to gather the information, ask a lot of questions, and compile it in a manner which you then can work with. In the end, a business plan comes down to the uh, physician owners need to make decisions. That's the most important part. No one can tell you what to do. So you're going to be looking at 10 to 12 different areas. What kind of space do you have? What kind of equipment do you have? What kind of employees do you have? How many do you have? I mean, I once had somebody ask him how many employees he had, and he said about 20. 
And they said, what do you mean about 20? Either you have 20 or you have 22. They come and go a lot. They come and go a lot. That's the kind of thing you need to be able to pick out exactly how many employees you have and the skills they have. We're less than concerned about, at this juncture, with the business planning, the individual, as opposed to the skills they bring to the table and bring to the practice. While you're talking, I, I keep thinking about the idealistic physician who feels that they should not have to do this, that they really went into medicine to help people and they don't really care about the finances of their practice and just kind of go along day to day, just seeing patients and kind of living in a cloud. Well, that was fine in the days when the profit margin was so big that management errors could be absorbed and things would be fine. What we are now is that as reimbursements are essentially flat, if not declining, real income is down on a gross level as well as what's going to the physician. There's so much money at play that this is a responsibility not only to yourself but to your employees. You, a physician feeds a lot of mouths in addition to taking care of, of many patients, which is the most valuable part. In a good situation, they're going to have a good practice manager and good advisors who can take care of most of the business side of the practice. What the business plan does is helps them so that the background of the business side of the practice is something they don't have to worry about as much, that they can see what's going on and moving along and where they want to go. It enables them to do what they want to do, which is practice medicine. You're exactly right. That's what physicians should be focusing their time on. We need to free them up so they can do that. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill, and I'm talking today with Peter Lukash, a blogger for allbusiness.com, where he writes about the business management of medical practices. Peter, there's a lot of stuff that goes into to implementing a business plan. So how do we start? How do we organize it? What, what's the first thing we do? Once we've gotten through all the data, once we've, made the, we've talked to a lot of people, we've made decisions about what we want to do, we make up a, a series of task plans, of action plans, of what we're going to do in order to get to our goals. And we then assign them to people, who's going to do what. And we need to monitor that monthly basis, have a meeting, have people report. You don't have to have big re written reports. Many times, too much writing is almost a bad thing. But you want to be able to sit down with the key people, your management people, supervisors, practice manager. It might be your entire staff in a smaller practice. You might bring in your accountant and or attorney or a consultant, if you're using one, to help you figure out, okay, who's accomplished what this month and what are we going to look working on the next month? This is sometimes the hardest part, but that's how things keep going and moving along. It sounds a little overwhelming to me. I, I feel like just fleeing the scene and getting out of medicine altogether. No, no. I'll tell you, it's like that in every profession. There is a business side. We're not special? Physicians are very special because unlike any other business, we really are talking about life and death. So there is a very much very special about it. I come from out of a nonprofit background and nonprofit hospitals. So my bias is towards very much a helping relationship and attitude towards looking at healthcare. So I'm a, kind of a, appalled of much as what has gone on in the last 20 years. That being said, there is a business side, just as any other nonprofit, we have a responsibility. We need to take care of what we have. There is a difference between being responsible with what you have and making putting them to the best use possible and being simply a profit-driven organization. There are people like that. 
you know, if you're a high-end plastic surgeon in Beverly Hills, you're generating profit. I mean, that's the name of the game. It's a very different practice than somebody, a plastic surgeon I knew in Nyack, New York growing up, who did a little cosmetic surgery and a whole lot of burn work. Different approaches to life and different things for different people. So let's get back to the, the business plan. We, we create it. We have our monthly meetings. And we're six months into the business plan. And the plan ain't working. You know, how do we know it's not working? I mean, obviously, we can get a feel for it. And then if it's not working, how do we salvage it? Okay, well, we know things aren't working when we're either we're not able to accomplish what we want to accomplish for some reason. We may be blocked from doing what we plan to do. New regulations come down from time to time, which make it impossible to do something. You may not be able to own that clinical lab, which a year ago you were allowed to own, as an example. So you need to say, okay, we're going to stop this task and we're going to decide what are we going to do instead in order to build a practice. This is driven over the ultimate goal. What are we trying to achieve here? What are we trying to accomplish here? It seems in my practice every month something's taken away and we have to scramble to replace that revenue stream. I feel like Sisyphus. It is an overly regulated profession. It has the scrutiny of a whole lot of folks because there's over $2 trillion being spent every year. So it's very much in front of everybody's radar. And there's so much money involved, and it affects everybody in the country. That's why it's become a target. Probably the best thing as a general rule is focus on clinical practice. If you start focusing on making money, that tends to lead people astray. Focus on clinical practice. Focus on doing things. I like to suggest that there's money being left on the table many times, which, incidentally, is also excellent clinical practice. You know, if you remember the old days of the old HMOs, the, what I call the real HMOs, the old Kaiser Permanente, the old Puget Sound HMOs such as that, their whole orientation was towards preventive care. Well, you're now seeing reimbursement being paid for certain preventive care items. In addition, if you're in, in markets where you can handle it, there are people who will pay for preventive medical care. I think people understand the concept. If you go to a dentist, you've been grilled since first grade, you go to a dentist every six months. You don't walk out of the dentist's office without a six-month recall for your next appointment. You don't walk out of an ophthalmologist's office if you are getting glasses for a recall set for a year. A year from now, I've already got my appointment set for a year from now. I have an appointment set in December for my dentist, six months after my last appointment, which I have to change because they discovered I'll be away. But that's the kind of orientation you need to get into. There are guidelines as far as preventive care for children and adults change. Individuals can't keep track of it. That's where physicians can provide, A, excellent service to the, to the patients, B, excellent clinical care, and C, as a sidebar, you're generating income as well, which may also in turn find things sometimes, which generates even more services. So you can look at it in both ways. In one hand, it's generating income. On the other hand, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're providing excellent cl clinical care. Isn't that great? It is great. But how do, you know, how do I decide what's the appropriate guideline for a 35-year-old for a male? How often does he have to see the doctor? I personally don't think he has to come in every year and, because that's kind of you know, taking care of my needs, not so much so his needs. Right. No, a 35-year-old male may not, but a 50-year-old male may need to be seen every two years. Or when you hit 50, if I recall, at that point, you should be getting colonoscopy as a guideline. Well, you've got in your database, you know how old your patients are. So when they hit 50, 
they should be getting popping up and saying, you need to come see us. There are certain preventive services you need to be seeing when you're 50, and there's other things you can do beyond that to educate your patients and provide the good clinical care. That kind of thing. Yes, it isn't every year when you're an adult generally. Flu shots in the fall, that's not really a moneymaker, but it's a wonderful service. It engages your patients with you so that they'll be thinking about you and they will call you. You don't want them going down to the dock in the box. You don't want them walking into the uh, local Walgreens for the retail uh, services, the quick men clinics. So you want to keep your patients engaged with you, identify you as their primary care physician, or if you're a specialist, as a specialist they would go to or refer your, their friends and neighbors to. Peter Lukash, thank you very much for coming on the show. I'm Dr. Larry Casco, and you've been listening to The Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thanks for listening.